Hello and welcome to episode 3 of Across the Bifrost. My name is Sung Soo, and after this brief introduction, I have a fantastic conversation with Greg Webster, where we dive into some fluff on some of the lesser-known characters in the initial wave of releases from Marvel Crisis Protocol. I do want to point out that I have a Patreon going right now, patreon.com slash across the Bifrost. It doesn't charge you anything right now, but in the future I'll be asking for $1 and $2 for Patreon, and all that money just goes to supporting this podcast and the endeavors. I wanted to thank Greg for being on the pod. It was a wonderful conversation, and I wanted to apologize to him. This episode took me about two weeks to edit. It's not that it was extremely laborious in editing it, it's just life just got really busy. With that in mind, I do want to say that I'm not a fan of withholding content. Uh, my content will always kind of come in ebbs and flows. Sometimes I have a bunch of great conversations in a row, and that means you might get two or three podcasts in a week. Sometimes I might not have any great conversations, and then the content will slow a little bit. I did want to thank Greg Shat, my most recent patron. In the words of the immortal David Beauchamp, we all just got shat on. Without any further ado, here is my conversation with Greg Webster. On the line now, we have a man who's forgotten more about Marvel than most people have ever learned. I'm thrilled today to be talking to Greg Webster from Houston. Greg, how are you doing? I'm doing awesome, son. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you again so much for making it onto the pod. I know it was a bit last minute. Great. For people who maybe don't know you, would you mind taking a second just introducing yourself? How did you get into comic books? Yeah, so uh, besides being a comic book nerd as a kid, uh, when I got into college, uh, I needed jobs that I could work on the weekends and work nights. So I actually ended up working at comic book shops for about four years while I went through college at UT. Uh, ended up at Dragon's Lair in Austin, which is a pretty big comic shop. Uh, it was really awesome, and I could read and just take all of it in. Uh, it's actually, that's also where I got into mini-gaming. I got into uh, War Machine uh, while I was there and just really ate up everything I could get. Um, so the, kind of that childhood raised on the, like, the X-Men cartoon led into me working at comic shops all through college. No, I mean, I fondly remember the X-Men animated series. Uh, so, do you remember the first comic book you ever picked up when you started working there? Uh, so when I started working at comic shops, that was when they just started the new Avengers, um, which was the team with like Spider Woman, Wolverine, uh, Luke Cage, Spider Man, and it was kind of like a Avengers without the Holy Trinity of Thor, Iron Man, and Cap. Uh, and it started with this like Prison Break story where the raft like gets busted, everybody gets busted out of the raft, and uh, that was that was like when I got back in, and it was just such a fun time. I, uh, I I just got totally absorbed in Marvel. No, and like we talked about a little bit off pod, now is a great time to be into Marvel. I feel like Marvel nerds are as accepted as we're ever going to be, so we need to like bask in the glory before we become weird again. <laughs> yeah, we we'll probably have like ten more years. <laughs> then we'll, we'll <laughs> yeah, bring back ten around. more years, forty more movies. Who knows what it'll be? Yeah. <laughs> So, Greg, I heard a rumor that you're actually going to be creating some content uh, of yourself with the Podfather, Jay Larson. So, well, can you tell us a little bit about that endeavor? What's going on over there? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jay and I are starting a, a podcast about the Marvel comic, uh, you know, the kind of the Marvel comic characters, uh, talking about Marvel Crisis Protocol a lot because we're both really excited for this game. Uh, we're probably going to be announcing our Patreon and getting all our Facebook pages and stuff up 
But uh, in the meantime, you can follow Chain Attack J to keep up with it. And uh, you can follow me, Marvelous Greg, on Twitter, uh, as well as keeping up with, you know, all of the Jay Larson discount games they use on minis stuff that he's involved with. But uh, yeah, we're both really excited. This is going to be a lot of fun as, you know, Marvel Crisis Protocol kind of gets started, uh, gets off the ground. And like, I have really high hopes for this game. I'm really excited. No, I'm super excited about the podcast. I mean, your Twitter handle alone, Marvelous Greg, like that's that's amazing. See what you did there. Yeah. Um, and Jay gave me a whole bunch of tips when I started up podcasting myself. So again, guys, follow Chain Attack Jay and Marvelous Greg over on Twitter. Help you stay up to date. And I know that the podcast will be available on Muse on Minis in addition to Patreon. So again, Muse on Minis is normally your best place to keep up to date with those things. So Greg, you touched on Marvel Crisis. Oh, go ahead, Greg. Oh, no, man. I just, uh, I wanted to say like we... We dove deep on this podcast and we're going to have like to, to kind of follow the theme of naming ourselves after like a mechanic, like chain attack. Uh, we're actually going to be calling ourselves the recalibration matrix after one of the MoDOT cards, which is going to directly tie into what we're talking about today, man. Wow, that's like that's breaking news. Recalibration matrix mm-hmm. after MoDOT. All right. Hey, that's huge. I'm excited. First announcement on Across the Bifrost. Thank you so much for bringing that for us, Greg. Yeah, happy to. All right, Greg. So we talked about it. Marvel Crisis Protocol is obviously releasing with a slew of heroes, and there's a huge amount of hype behind it. As far as I'm concerned, Marvel Crisis Protocol basically just like one Gen Con, which is Oh, absolutely. It's pulling on heroes from all the different Marvel environments, right? We've got the MCU. um, It starts pulling from comic books. I wouldn't be surprised if Netflix pulls in more recently. And some characters like Captain America are super well But I do think it, uh, some of the characters led to a whole lot of Googling. So today, I was hoping to leverage a bunch of your knowledge and we can try to educate people on why they should be excited about maybe some of these characters they haven't heard about. Greg, you think you're up for that today? Oh, absolutely. All right, man. So from the initial release wave, we have kind of two characters, it seems, that people have been scratching their heads a little bit about. We've got Modok, M-O-D-O-K, and we've got Baron Zemo. Greg, which one do you think we should uh, dive in on first? I would rather start on Modoc. I think he's got a lot more fun stuff going, and like personally, I love him. No, let's dive into Modoc. Absolutely. So Modoc first appeared in uh, Tales of Suspense '93, way, 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 way back in 1967, right? Yeah. And I think it's important to say when characters started because it helps kind of bring them into terms of like. You have to keep in mind the different political environments of America at the time. You have to think about what the world was like at this time to try to crystallize, right, how a villain comes into existence. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, I mean, it's it's very interesting, right, when you look at, like, what age of comics they were created. Because if they were created before the 50s, they've usually been, like, completely restarted or rebooted or recreated. Uh, and so, like, it's it's really important to, like, know especially with comic books, right? Like most villains were created in their enemies' books, right? So even like reading about them, you got to know, oh, I'm going to find MODOK in Captain America books mostly. No, and that's a great point. That's one of the things I was hoping to cover today is how people could get more information about it. And um, no, I think that's a great lead in, Greg. So, okay, so who is MODOK? What can you tell us about the man behind the mask, the alter ego, as the game puts it? Yeah, so MODOK, Basically, Modoc was just a grunt scientist at a, a terrorist scientific organization called AIM, AIM. Um, and so AIM 
wanted to create like a supercomputer to start figuring out how to make different weapons. And specifically, they were trying to like make the cosmic cube. Uh, so AIM mutated him and put him into this like this process in order to make him the um, what is it? Mach- machine organism? Mental organism. Mental organism designed only for computing uh, with a C at the end. And he kind of like it, it made him evil, and so he became the machine or the mental organism designed only for killing. Um, and he changed it to a K, and like he took over AIM, and he is this like just inhuman intelligence who runs a crazy terrorist organization. Who like they've in in a lot of Marvel comics, they're basically like just like attacking people and stealing technology or they're doing mad science that just runs amok uh, or they're coming in at the last minute and like sneaking things in or out. And so they're, they're kind of this really fun like organization in, in Marvel because you never know like, where are they or what are they actually doing? Um, And they're very like, they only care about developing technologies for their own power. No, I think you hit on a few things. First of all, I'm going to say that my hope, my dream for Modoc's alter ego is actually just Modoc with a C. So I hope that his name is Modoc with a K and his alter ego is Modoc with a C because I think that would be very cool. So we talked about a little bit. Obviously, uh, George went under a bunch of experimentation under AIM. He was mutated a little bit. Can, can you explain why is he in like a super hover chair? Can you explain? Oh, what's I mean, going that's basically there? his head is so large that his body is useless. So he's in the big hover chair because otherwise he can't carry the weight of his own head without breaking his neck. Like, and I think they called the doomsday chair in everything he's in. And it's just ridiculous. I love MODOK. He's like the silliest villain. Um, and in like Captain America, he's presented so seriously. He's, you know, he's, he's very dangerous and like, he's, he's always, he's a planner. So he's always trying to like, outwit everybody um but he's also an extremely powerful like psychic yeah you touched on it a little bit let's go into what he's quote-unquote known for powers wise obviously you said he has uh, some psychic powers we'd love to we could expand a little bit how he uses those and i believe that he actually is quote-unquote smart enough that he can kind of do uh, robert downey jr and sherlock holmes right where he calculates the probability of outcomes and it's almost like clairvoyance uh knowledge does that ring a bell he's supposed to be able to predict what everybody does through yeah kind of that new what was it the robert downey jr sherlock exactly where he like sees the future because he knows exactly what his opponents are going to do um so like he he's really good at manipulating people because he knows exactly what will make someone do what he wants or he knows how to do feints um and so there's kind of these these examples of him like outwitting people that are the smartest people in the world because he's so focused. Um, and then there's other, like, what I love about Modoc is because his concept is so silly, there's also a lot of stories where he's, like, almost a joke. Like, he's such an outdated, like, funny-looking villain that, like, you'll have stuff where they make funny versions of Modoc. Um, and so, like, I remember there was... There was Modog, which was a a dog like version of Modoc. It's just he he opens up so many like strange can of worms that the writers can play with. 
uh, I think when I researched, I found there's just this list of different versions of Modok, and they're it's it's this really outrageous character that we can do a lot with. No, there were actually a couple instances where they were actually female versions of Modok. I don't know if you remember yeah. reading those. Uh, books. There was um there was a there was an event recently where basically like Doctor Doom broke apart reality and like put it back together, and one of the one of the effects of that was that there were all these alternate reality versions of Modok that just were all killing each other and they like all wanted to rule. Um, so there's, yeah, there's been female Modoks. Uh, there's been zombie Modok. There's been death, Deathlock Modok where he was like an assassin. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But I mean, generally in the comics, he's he's a planner, and when when he gets down to it, he is just this ridiculously powerful psychic um, that that has very little like he's very powerful. Yeah, so obviously we're interested in how he's going to fit into the Marvel Crisis universe, and and I'm hoping that they kind of echo his powers and his settlements that we just talked about, where he's he's a powerful psychic, so maybe he doesn't need line of sight for things like that. Maybe he can influence other people uh, to do actions. And I'm really interested to see how they take his iteration and port him over to the game. You mentioned that he started as a Captain America villain, but he kind of encountered a lot of people along the way. Were there any other big uh, heroes or troops that he ran into? I mean, generally, he's he's Captain America. Generally, he's going up against the Avengers. I believe he's probably bounced around a lot of like different teams. He, I know there's been a lot of stories recently where, like, AIM, there's people in AIM trying to, like, supplant him and take away. Uh, there was a really funny comic that was like a, it was a heist comic where MODOK had to get a team of supervillains to, like, try to, try to steal some devices for him. And it was called, like, MODOK's Eleven. It was, like, an Ocean's Eleven kind of riff. Um, and they actually played that much, much more serious. I thought it was going to be a joke comic, but it was actually like the 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 villains were trying to like complete the heist for Modok, and it was presented very seriously. That's actually as we kind of wrap up the section on people. That's actually the comic series I was going to recommend. Yeah. It's a team up Modok's Eleven. It was one of the if you're if you're going to read like a short, it, it was it came out in. It's like 2005 to 2010. I can't remember exactly when, but it's still relatively speaking current. It's not an expensive book. You could probably even get it in a graphic novel, but that was a great read for myself and a great introduction kind of into, you really understand the essence of who Modoc is, which is this like very satirical character who for whatever reason is extremely serious about himself. And it's a, it's a really good read. Yeah. And, and I'll step in and say uh, it is on Marvel Unlimited, which is a subscription thing Marvel's been doing. But you get almost their entire backlog for like ten dollars a month. I my math ends up being like it's like the cost of a trade paperback every two months, and you get so much. So uh, I know that's how I read Modox Eleven a couple of months ago. I'm still I'm I'm glad you brought up Marvel Unlimited because I this is my third or fourth podcast, depending on how long it takes me to edit this, and I've never mentioned it. It's definitely something I've utilized. I'm I'm very. I don't know why I'm very golden age. Like I still want a physical comic book in my hands, but I do read a lot of things on Marvel universe and then go out and buy a copy. I used to be, yeah. you won't judge me too much, but I'm sure a lot of other people I used to buy two copies of every book, one copy to read and one copy that was never touched by human hands again. 
Oh, I, I, I used to know a lot of people like that. For me, generally, I've just I've given up on collecting things I'm not going to use. Uh, and for me, Marvel Unlimited is perfect because I can I can pick up stories and just leave them at like you know issue ten, issue twelve, and then I can come back and I can pick them up later on my phone and I know where I am. And also, it just saves so much space. Um, I'm all I'm all in on the Marvel Unlimited. I love it. Like it lets you read so much stuff that. You know, I might not have given Modox 11 a chance if I had to pay $25 for it. No, and that's a great point. And uh, yeah, the environmental repercussions of dead tree books are also serious. And this is, this is a little silly, but I know we're both parents. One of the reasons I still collect comic books, and, and I don't harbor any illusion that these are going to be worth massive pools of money, like the ones early printings. That, that's a whole other conversation. We could do a long episode on comic book finances. Uh, but I do remember... Mm-hmm getting into comic books with my father and then my father being, okay, well, if you like this one, go ahead and read this series and, and him physically handing the series to me. And I've, I've done that a bit with some of my older daughter. She's 10 now. And I hope to do that with all three of my daughters is to, you know, as they kind of grow and develop in it, I can give them a physical stack of comics. I don't know what it is, but I was like, yeah, this is what dad read. You can go ahead and read through these now. Yeah. No, I like, I mean, that's, that's the, that's the, the main to me, that's the main draw of like owning a physical piece of medium. It's the ability to be able to give it to someone. But you know, I, I think for me personally, I'm going to like read most of what I read on an app, uh, and then I'm gonna go back and like buy my favorite things in hardback, put them on my shelf, and get them down and read them every once in a while. But no, you definitely do lose that. Like, I'm not gonna be able to pass down my favorite comics to my kids if I don't actually own them, right? Yeah, no, you hit on exactly how I am actually using Marvel Universe. I use Marvel Universe to check out new series if I'm not sure I want to invest money into. I use it to research superheroes mm-hmm. who maybe I'm not normally willing to, you know, maybe they're not my favorite. I don't want to call out any ones that aren't my favorite immediately. But it is a great platform. And like you said, it's super reasonable, $10 a month. And you really, you can read. I, I, I'm, if I say it's every back edition, it's not like someone's going to call me out on it. And I'm sure there's a formula, but it, it's, it's almost every back edition, right? It's it's almost every and I think it's you can't you can't get any comics that are like six months new, but you can go back, you know, the last twenty years and read ninety nine percent of all the comics Marvel's made. Um in all my like I was looking up comics, I think the only one that isn't there that I couldn't read was the JLA Avenger I wanted to read the Justice League Avengers crossover because I read that when I was a kid and I like I loved it, and I never got to finish it. And I can't read that one because it has Justice League, so it's not actually a Marvel comic, right? Um, but every other comic, I've been it's it's on there, and it's amazing. It's so much fun. Yeah. So anyone that wants to check out Marvel Unlimited, it's actually, uh, and I'm not sponsored yet, but hey, Marvel, maybe reach out to me. I'll easily get you ten customers here. Um, you can find them at marvel.com/slash/comics/slash/unlimited for the full information. There's also a mobile app for it, but it is a great value. It's got a couple tiers of support, if I remember correctly. I don't exactly remember the membership dues for the quote-unquote high-end one that gets me a couple, like, pins don't or comics. you get an action figure? Yeah, exactly. I get something that... You get, like, a, you get like an, uh, an, an action figure that is only available that way. Like, that's the big, you know, collector thing they offer. Yeah, and you also get a small discount on, like, Marvel merchandise if you actually buy from the Marvel store directly as well. Nah, I'm just, I'm just there for the comics, so... 
No, I don't blame you. I, I don't know how I got hornswoggled into this premium membership. Maybe I'm, I don't know, Pinky's out. Anyway, we're way, we're way, we're down in a deep rabbit hole. Back to Modoc. We were talking about Modoc. We were talking about Modoc. Uh, started as a Captain America villain. I know he's crossed over with the Hulk. I know he's dealt with the Thor before. But what are some? Are there any storylines that you actually recommend for more Modoc outside of Modoc Eleven? There was a really good Captain America run that kind of had Modoc coming in and out. But honestly, like there aren't any comic series that stand out as like top notch for Modoc. Um, Modoc in general for me has been like Captain America treats him seriously and everyone else kind of treats him as this like fun, weird character. Um, I think the first comic I read with him was actually this, this series called Next Wave where he was just totally presented as a joke. And I think that was one of the first ones where they had like a female Modoc. Um, so if I had to recommend like one series, other than that Modox 11, it would be Next Wave. Uh, just for the pure, like, weirdness and goofy, like, attitude. Because, uh, honestly, that's one of the things I love about Modox. Um, and I did see they're coming out with a Hulu series where that's all about Modox. Uh, so I have high hopes that that's going to be, like, a really fun introduction to character. Wait, that's real? There's a Hulu series focused on Modox? Yeah, uh, let's see, they announced four Hulu series that were going to come out, and they were Howard the Duck, Modoc. gosh, what were the other ones? Howard the Duck and Modoc were two, the two that really stood out, Hitmonkey, and then Tigra and Dazzler. I, I, I don't know what to make of Tigra and Dazzler, but like all of them are very much like the funnier, weirder characters in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> Hitmonkey would be a... I never even considered Hitmonkey from Marvel Crisis Protocol. We might have to circle yeah. back to this later. He would be amazing. Um, wow, no, I am hyped about that, too. I had no idea that MODOK was coming to Hulu. I know that MODOK in the cartoons yeah. is this super campy, funny person. He has a voice like Krang that's really high-pitched. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm really excited for MODOK. I think he brings a lot of fluff to it. I think he brings a lot of flavor. Yeah. I think he's a great include for the first large base, quote-unquote, villain. And because he's bounced around so much, he, he actually is really easy to fit in to a more open alliance. A lot of the other villains that are maybe more niche or things have a harder time linking up with like Red Skull, for example, to make any sense as to why they'd be teaming up. But Modoc, again, he's, he's so ubiquitous. Nah, ubiquitous is the wrong word, but he's been around. Uh, he's been around for a little while. He's been involved in a bunch of things. Yeah, he's from the, he's from the 60s and 70s. So like he's been around. He's just like he's not one of the big movie villains. He's not one of the big like he was never in Spider-Man or X-Men, um, which, you know, those were Marvel's biggest franchises until the new the, the new MCU started and kind of reshaped what Marvel thinks of as, like, their big franchises. Um, so I just found in this article they're also going to have a team-up called The Offenders with, with all those Hulu shows together. And that just sounds amazing. I can't wait for that. I do not have a Hulu subscription, but I'm going to have to remedy that before this comes out, because that, that, that does sound absolutely amazing. More money for um, Disney. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Um, and so I think we covered MODOK pretty well. Is there anything you think we missed, Greg? Is there anything you want to double back on? No, nah, I just think like the fact that MODOK is in their first run of launches kind of shows that they're they're willing to like go weird places 
Uh, they're not going to pick like the biggest, most successful characters from the, the MCU or from the cartoons. Um, they're going to pick the characters that are fun on, that are like fun and unique, uh, like characters, right? Like he's a big floating head in a doomsday chair with amazing psychic powers and like he's really smart and like that is such a cool choice to bring to the tabletop game. Um, and like, He's he's my like number one model. He's the one I'm most excited for, and he you know part of the reason I really wanted to name my podcast like Recalibration Matrix to kind of like kind of like put Modoc in my brand <laughs> for this podcast and like use him when I can. No, I think that's amazing. And a local, uh, Phil Lemon uh, started a local group chat, and he's like, "Who the heck is buying Modoc?" And it's definitely like a divide in the sand. And, and yeah, I am. I'm a huge fan of Modoc, and I cannot wait to get my hands on him. It's a gorgeous model, the one that they had, um, the painting, uh, excuse me, the painted model at Gen Con was absolutely gorgeous. It's ridiculous. Those giant teeth, like, I love it. Can't wait. <laughs> All right, so that's enough about Modoc. Um, are you okay jumping right into Baron Zemo? Yeah, let's go. So again, he's an older villain. Uh, originally, the first time you saw him was Avengers 4. The first time he was mentioned was Avengers 6. And both of those were way back in 1964. So um, who is the alter ego of Baron Zemo? All right. So the original Baron Zemo was actually Heinrich Zemo. And the character we're getting in the game is Helmet Zero. So, or Helmet Zemo. And I think it's, you know, it's really important to kind of introduce that this is a legacy of European Barons. Uh, and that, like, they have had comics, right, going back hundreds of years uh about how like the family the zemo family has like always been these amazing genius tacticians and leaders and um so it, it kind of is this this big this big like what's the word it's a lineage really it's, it's a, a lineage. lineage of like super scientists out of germany yeah, and it's it's you know there I I like I like to think of Zemo as kind of like the other Nazi character almost other than Red Skull. Um, really, Heinrich Zemo was the Nazi. Helmet Zero is just the like he was. I think he got into villainy because he saw that his dad died, and so he like took up the mantle and kept the Baron Zemo running. Um, and so to me. Zemo has always been this, like, I compare him to Cobra Commander all the time because he's constantly, like, you never, he always has that weird shapeless mask. He's very, like, diabolical and evil. He always has, like, henchmen do his bidding. Um, and it's funny, like, in terms of, in terms of powers, like, he, he doesn't really have powers. Um, sometimes he'll, you know, he'll have, like, amazing Doom Day weapons, or he'll have, like, powered suits, um, but really he's just a, he's a, he's an amazing scientist, he's, he's a, a genius, like, tactician, um, and he's brutal. Uh, so a lot of times you see Zemo, like, in charge of supervillains who are way more powerful than him, and, um, he's always teamed up with, like, villains who want to, like, supplant him, and he, like, outthinks them and puts them in their place. Um, so, like, 
Heinrich Zemo and Helmut Zemo were both the, the leaders of the Masters of Evil, which were mainly just an anti-Avengers supervillain team with a bunch of uh, pretty random villains. Like, I think Tiger Shark was pretty common in the, in the Masters of Evil. Uh, Radioactive Man was constantly one of the Masters of Evil. Um, but they were really just, like, characters that are not used really anymore. Um, and I think the reason Zemo kind of stuck around was for a couple of reasons. One, there's this really cool storyline where the Masters of Evil take over the Avengers headquarters and basically, like, use its defenses as weapons against the Avengers. Um, but two, there was this amazing story called um, The Thunderbolt. And in it, Baron Zemo and, and his, his new group of supervillains, they come in and they pretend to be superheroes uh, at a time where the Avengers have gone missing. Um, and this comic runs for years and years, and it basically culminates in, in Zemo getting kicked out of the team because the other villains want to become superheroes, and they, they have realized, like, oh, being good is better, but Zemo is, you know, threatening to kill them, and he's manipulating everybody. Um, so it eventually comes down to Zemo fighting with this team and getting kicked out. Um, so to me, Zemo's this, like, he's he's a scary Nazi, but he's also, like, this... He, he brings together other characters uh, to to get his job done, to attack the Avengers, to, you know... Uh, when he, they did a big storyline recently called Secret Invasion, and he basically like created an army of D-list supervillains, and he, he had this ridiculous storyline where he lured all the superheroes into New York City and then trapped them with like an evil magical device called the Darkhold. Um, he just, he's, he's a tactician. Uh, it, it looks like from his model, you know, he's, he's wielding a sword, so it's gonna focus on his swordsmanship. Um, I mean, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Like, I, I think he's, he may not be known, that well known, but he's, he's, he's a mainstay of like anti-Avengers characters. Yeah, I, I can't recommend the Thunderbolts enough. I do think you, you hit on something that I want to expand on a little more. Is it, uh, he doesn't have any quote unquote say superpowers, right? He's a he's a master swordsman. He's a master in like hand to hand combat. He's extremely smart. He's a brilliant tactician. He's very similar to Batman if we're going to make a weird yeah. port, right? But but he's not inherently different than anyone else, correct? No, I don't think so. And I always have that trouble, right? Like like so I was I was talking to someone about another character, and they're like, oh well, he got hero, he got powers recently. Now he breathes fire, and I was like, I don't. That doesn't mean. That doesn't mean we have to talk about that. So I think, you know, in his, like, classical interpretation, Zemo is not a powered character. He's just, he's just really, really smart. He's, he's brutal, and he works really hard to be who he is. He has no superpowers. No, and I think you, you summed him up very succinctly. Like, he, he is, like, just the quintessential nefarious evil planner, like, in one of the series, he even goes back and kills his great, great, great grandfather during like some weird time travel incident. He's a fantastic antagonist. And like you said, he, because he's been around since the 60s, he, he's he's seen so much play against the Avengers. He started obviously just to being against Cap, 
He's been around so much, and I think he's a great inclusion in the first game. And I actually really like the way that they did his rules on the tabletop. They, they go over his swordsmanship a little bit. He has a buffing ability that helps nearby heroes, which kind of shows that he's like a master tactician. So again, I really think they did a great job of translating him to Marvel Crisis Protocol. And, and like you said before about MODOK, I'm actually super excited that he is here instead of your usual villain that we can name either from X-Men or, or Venom or Carnage again. I, I think it's great that they're going a little deeper into the comic books here to, to grab a villain that maybe we weren't expecting. Yeah, and I think with the starter box, it does look like they're going like Avengers and then classic Avenger villains is the matchup for the most part. Um, I mean, I guess except for Dr. Octopus. Um, but yeah, it's he's a he's a classic Avengers enemy, even in Thunderbolts, right? He's trying to replace the Avengers when they're not there. Um, and he's trying, he's, he's planning, he's plotting, he's just, he's an evil genius, right? No, absolutely. And, and I think it is great to see, to, to mention what you just talked about. Omnis talked about that in episode two of Across the Bifrost. It is important to look at what's being included in the starter. Like one of the reasons Omnis said that, it, you know, X-Men weren't necessarily a good fit. It's like, you know, we are really trying to make two teams here, right? And like, sure, you could toss Wolverine in there or something like that. But I do think it's 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 good to get some people out there that we weren't expecting. And we can obviously, if, if they can, they'll release X-Men in the future. But yeah, I definitely Avengers and then Avenger uh, Archvillains kind of lines up. Again, like with, with <laughs> very comic book Doc Octopus maybe being the outlier, but... Ultron, uh, Zemo, Crossbones, Red Skull. Yeah, it all definitely fits that line of they. this this group has very clearly fought against the Avengers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Is there anything else we need to hit on for Baron Zemo? Do you have a do you have a series? I know. Well, we mentioned the Thunderbolts. That's really the series we should recommend here, right? Yeah. No, I mean, if I if I had to recommend, I would recommend the first 12 issues of Thunderbolts. It's a self-contained story. And if you dig it, you can keep going with it. Um, but even if that's all you read, you have a really good basis for like what I think is the modern version of, of Helmet Zemo. No, and I agree. I can't echo that more. I think that's a great place to start. And with any of the super old characters, even whether they're a hero or a villain, it, it's great to be able to look at just like a single slice of them. They're, they're often there's so many different iterations, and we could talk about it for a while, about how comic books may take one character down several different story arcs, depending on who the author was at a given time. Um, so focusing on a single arc, I think, is very wise just to get the flavor of a character. Yeah, I mean, speaking of, right, we we got Zemo in Marvel Captain America Civil War. Uh, so in the MCU, we have Zemo, and we've seen, like, this interpretation of him. And I don't know if you saw it, but at, um, at Comic-Con, they showed that in the Winter Soldier... Um, Falcon series, he's going to be wearing his traditional purple mask. Um, so I'm really excited because we got to see him plot and outthink Captain America and Iron Man, and he got to destroy the Avengers. Um, so we've kind of seen the like plotting, brutal uh, version of Zemo in the MCU, and I really like that, like how they've taken the character where he's like a he's a you know he's a highly trained soldier who outthought the Avengers. No, I think that's a great point for maybe people that didn't realize it. Uh, Zemo was the character who freed Bucky, kind of set Bucky loose, and then it, and then he kind of led to the fight that ended up being, or excuse me, 
he was the culmination. Eh, what's the word here? He was the catalyst that led to the big fight between Captain America and Iron Man during that movie in the MCU. Yes, basically the fight between Cap and Iron Man was his like big plan, and everything else was just leading up to Captain America and Iron Man like falling out. Absolutely, really goes to show, like you said, that he's a he's a big picture thinker, right? He obviously had like a long game plan and a short game plan there. And and he he doesn't have the quote unquote mask that we've kind of been known for that he's uh known for a bit in the comic books, but you're right, he was hundred percent introduced to us in the MCU. And whether people realize it or not, they probably did get to see. Yeah, no, I, I realized that a lot of people didn't realize that that was Baron Zemo. Um, and that, like, he's not a Baron, obviously, but that was Helmet Zemo taking out the Avengers. And that was really fun. I liked that a lot. All right. So next up, we're going to talk about two other characters that are a little less popular comic book wise, definitely newer characters, but did exist in the MCU. We have Corvus Glaive and Proxima Midnight. And those two characters are kind of uh, intertwined. Would you give us a little bit of background about them? Yeah. So uh, Corvus Glaive and Proxima Midnight are a husband and wife duo in Thanos's Black Order team. Um, so these characters are so new that like i have i don't know their characters very well at all when i was doing some research i found out that a lot of their backstory hasn't been written yet um so like corpus glaive is immortal as long as his uh his glaive isn't broken but we don't know why like there's no explanation it's just one of those like he has this magic this amazing glaive um and so corpus glaive is the leader of the Black Orders, uh, which doesn't mean he's equal to Thanos. He's they are all servants of Thanos, but but he's the one who will lead the other Black Order members. Um, it I found one story that said he's the brother of Black Dwarf. Uh, I'm I'm not sure about that. Uh, that was like the one thing I found it, and I couldn't find anything else about it. Um, but so Corvus Glaive, if you've seen the movies, he's the goblin looking guy with the stick with two knives on it. And he is this, he's this just ridiculous tactician. Um, in the comics, he will like study a world's martial arts and all of their weapons they've ever developed before he attacks them. Um, there's, there's a comic where when they attack Earth, Corvus Glaive by himself defeats the entire X-Men. Um, so he's just this ridiculous uh, fighter um, and warrior who has, he, he's just good at everything. Um, and Proxima Midnight is his wife. And so uh, she also has just generic superpowers. She's strong, fast, tough. Um, and so Proxima Midnight has a spear that can pretty much cut or hurt anything. Um, so she can like cut through atoms. It's so sharp and amazing. Um, and it's supposed to never miss if she throws it. Uh, at one point she stabbed the Hulk and he turned back into Bruce Banner. It's just this, like, how, how did she do that? Um, well, I, my, my best operating theory is she separated the Hulk and Bruce Banner and that's why he turned back. Um, so both of them were created for, uh, a Jonathan Hickman run of Thanos basically attacking the Earth. Um, 
and they they were I feel like they were kind of just created so that Thanos could be everywhere, right? Like he could send his generals around. Um, but since then, they they keep showing up. Um, I think currently in the Marvel comics, Thanos is dead again, and the Black Order is kind of on their own, and they're trying to like figure out how to survive in a universe that wants them dead. Um, so they have their own like comic series right now called the Black Order, um, and just generally they're 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 two of the most dangerous, you know, people in the galaxy. No, I couldn't agree with you more. And to give people a bit of a sense of scale, <clears throat> Corvus Glaive was introduced, at, excuse me, Corvus and Proxima were both introduced in 2013. So the first two characters we mentioned, Modok and Zima, were introduced in the 60s. These characters were literally introduced six years ago. So when we say there isn't as much background about them, it's not that there won't ever be. It definitely seems like these are characters that they've chosen to keep around. It's just that it's not out there yet. And I 100% agree they were basically made as Thanos is, Thanos is lieutenants. And they've just kind of evolved from there and taken on more of their personality as they've been written into books. Um, so they are fun characters and there's a lot of potential there, but they don't have that deep history that the other ones like Modoc, right? Yeah, no, they're very, they're very like new characters. And um, like I know for, for example, I teach fourth grade and um, my students, like watched the Avengers movies. Um, they didn't even pick up these characters' names. Uh, like, I feel like a lot of times they're just kind of used as Thanos' foot soldiers. Um, like, if you watched Endgame and Infinity War, I think Ebony Maul was the only one of the Black Order that people would have understood what his character was, other than just like, oh, he kills people with psychic powers. Um, but, like, in the comics, Corvus Glaive is like very he's very reflective um because he's he's the leader because he's this like tactician um so in the Black Order comic he's like questioning himself um and Proxima Midnight is kind of like supporting him realizing that like he's not sure what's going on uh but in the movies I do feel like Corvus Glaive and Proxima Midnight just are the two that attacked like the vision in the movies um. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think there was. Like, <laughs> uh, let me let me start by saying I thought it was a really good movie. Uh, even if I didn't necessarily love the portrayal of these characters, he's definitely more calculating than they portrayed him. He seems just kind of like a a point and click assassin or like a a very trained dog in the movie. And there's definitely more to him than that, right? Like you said, he is the leader of the Black Order multiple times. Yeah. No. I. I, I just think in the movies they they had to like boil down his character in such a way that you know he would be intimidating, um, but they couldn't really give him that room for like individual identity. Um, and like same with Proxima Midnight, I just felt like both of them were they didn't have much dialogue at all. I don't think in the movie you even know they're supposed to be husband and wife. Um, was that in the movie? I don't think so. No, I don't think that's, I don't think that's ever, the only place you can kind of pick up on it is when, do you remember when Corvus is injured in the initial skirmish? Yeah, that's right. And she kind of like falters and waits for him. I think if they weren't like together, maybe she just like ditches him, right? And just ports back herself immediately. But that was the only thing that even like hinted that they might be. Yeah, they escaped together. That's right. So, so, you know, it's, it's kind of this in the movies. I feel like they're very, they're not very, individual they're not we don't really get that like oh corvus glaive is this amazing martial artist 
uh, more so than Proxima Midnight. Proxima Midnight looks amazing too. Um, and so I, I feel like just their comic versions are very interesting and fun. Um, but you know, we, we don't, we don't always get a hundred percent perfect representation in an adaptation. So. No, absolutely not. And I, again, I, I was not disparaging the movies at all. I highly enjoyed the movies. They are fantastic for what they are. I understand that the movies are literally over six hours when you mash the things, two things together. I get they didn't have a lot of time for character development. Yeah. You did hit on something I wanted to expand on a little bit. You mentioned Ebony Maw and who I call Black Star, who were in the Avengers movies, but weren't necessarily credited or super true to who they were in comics. Does that sound about right to you? Um, I think even Ebony Maw was like kind of different. Ebony Maw was in the movies. He was kind of this like priest of Thanos where he's like, praise Thanos. So you will join him in death. And, um, he's called black dwarf. I'm pretty sure it is black dwarf. I said black star. Yeah. I no, black dwarf is, uh, he's, he's kind of the big warrior, um, with the, with the ax and, uh, he is the brother of Corvus Glaive. Um, so I just found that. Uh, and then, uh, his name was something else at first. Um, it was. I got this wrong in episode. Well, I didn't get it wrong, but I couldn't remember it. He was Cole Obsidian yeah. in the MCU, and then he's Black Dwarf oh, okay. in the comics. So that's 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 hard to keep track. Right. See, that's how little they they want to like do direct adaptation. Um, so no, I mean they're they're very like simplified in the movies, um, and then in the comics they have a lot more time to shine because they. I think they're each of them is one of the strongest characters ever. So like the idea that black dwarf could beat the Hulk, um, he's probably very, it's probably easy for him to beat the Hulk. That's how strong he is. And, you know, like, like I said, the, the part where like Corvus Glaive defeats all of the X-Men, like that's insane. He must be so powerful to be able to do something like that. No, that's a great point. And the movie iteration, right? <laughs> has Corvus Glaive and Proxima losing to Falcon, Vision, Scarlet Witch, and uh, Black Widow. So, yeah, maybe. I don't, even think, I don't even think Vision fought in that battle, if you, like, go back at it. He, like, laser beams at them a couple times, and they just dodge easily. Um, but, no, yeah, right, he, he ambushes Vision, he wounds Vision, and then Vision's just trying to run away with Scarlet Witch. Um, so, yeah, like, he's, he's definitely scary. Um, and I did like in the movies how, like, He's just able to attack Vision when he goes intangible, and it's just like, oh yeah, he can do that. He's he's scary. No, I agree. He, they they served a great role in the movies, and they serve a slightly better role in the comics. Neither one of them is right or wrong. Ebony Maw also apparently got like telekinesis powers. I never remember that in the comic books. Did he have those powers in the comics? I don't think he did. I think he's just a psychic. Um, so like, I I remember Ebony Maw did this really. He he like. Brain con he mind controlled Doctor Strange and made Doctor Strange like open a portal and let a super demon monster into Earth. Um, and so Ebony Maw, I'm pretty sure he's just a psychic, not a telekinetic in the comics. No, that's what I remember as well. So again, it'll be really interesting as Marvel Crisis Protocol expands to see which version of these heroes they decide to use. Right, the the movies did a fantastic job of introducing these characters to people. And when the rules come out fully for Corvus and Proxima, I'm excited to see, you know, I assume they're going to go a little deeper and draw from the comic books just because like we said, there's more, there's more to it there, right? Yeah. It's a much more 
in-depth character. It's a much more exciting character than the version we got in the MCU. But I, again, I don't care how you came to love the Marvel characters. The, the MCU was a great introduction for me. It was a great way to get these into the mainstream. Oh, no. Whereas otherwise, you probably would have never heard about them. Yeah, I, I'm going to be honest. I did not know what the Black Order was until they announced Infinity War. And I was like, oh, there's this Jonathan Hickman story that where Thanos attacks Earth. I better go check it out. Um, and there was a part, there's always this, this part of me, right, when I read new Marvel characters to think they've been around forever. Um, and I remember at that point I tried to find, hey, wh- where did the Black Order come from? Uh, and I couldn't find anything older than that. So, uh, it was, it was kind of this like silly moment. But, um, I think the Black Order, like, they're fine in the Marvel movies. They're better villains than several of the other, you know, villains that pop up in Marvel. I, I don't mean to trash on him. That wasn't my intention. Any one of them could have been a villain, a standalone villain in any one of the MCU movies. They, they, they have enough character. There's enough depth there. They chose to do them in a slightly different way. If they wanted to drag out the end of the Avengers series to be six movies, maybe they could have, right? Maybe each movie could have been dealing with one of Thanos' children, one of the members of the Black Order, so to speak. Uh, but there they went in a different direction. And again, I, it was a very enjoyable I movie. I mean, not, not besmirching I think if you would have like one or some of them you would basically get the end of justice league as your movie where you're just fighting a character that like <laughs> most people don't even know who that is um and so i'm i'm glad they uh, did it the way they did i really am i think it was the best way uh i just don't think they had much individuality and for the minis game like you know you, you gotta show characters as being separate from each other Right, and that's why, obviously, I, I'm, I'm hopeful, I'm very confident in both the wills that they're able to do that in the game. I'm looking forward to seeing the full rules for these characters. Uh, but I did, I wanted to get people a little bit excited about these four kind of a little bit more obscure characters from the initial slate of Marvel Crisis Protocol Heroes, and I want to thank you so much, Greg. I think we did a pretty good job running through them. Is there anything else you think we need to hit on for these guys? Uh, for the Black Order, not that I can think of. Um, I think... I think, like, if people wanted to, like, read up on the Black Order, they should check out, um, they should check out the Infinity comic. Uh, that was basically, like, when they first made their full appearance. Yeah, that was the Infinity series in 2013, yes. I believe, um, is the, is the introduction to kind of where you see them. And then in New Avengers, I also believe you can uh, see the them. second New Avengers? Yes. Correct. Yes. Um, and yeah, okay. Talk about confusion. Yeah. Comic books are great at reusing the names at different periods of time. I know that makes a ton of sense, but it is actually something they do. And there is, yeah, it's, I wish yeah. they didn't do that, but what can you say? I'm trying to figure that out right now, but no, it's, it's the new Avengers from 2013. Yeah. The same year that infinity came out, right. With the introduction. Cause I think Corvus was actually introduced in a free comic book day comic is if my memory serves me correctly, which I think is, Really cool, and I'm obviously yeah, a huge uh, fan of free comic book. It's, uh, it's comic book Christmas, right? <laughs> Which is May 2nd, for any of those who uh, don't know, May 2nd, find your local comic book store. They are getting harder and harder to find, so try to support them. Obviously, we talked about Marvel Universe, but if you can support a local comic book store, please do it. Free comic book day is again May 2nd, which I realize is a long time away since it's the middle of August right now. Yeah, that's okay. We can remind them closely, too. Yeah, I'll have to have you back on the podcast closer to closer to that time if you're okay with it, Greg. Yeah, man, that'd be fun. All right, Greg. Well, that's a lot of great information about these four characters from Marvel Crisis Protocol that maybe people were uh, 
weren't super familiar with, but hey, are you reading anything super exciting right now? What else can you recommend to people out there who maybe, again, aren't super familiar with the comic books? Uh, so I am really enjoying the new run of Avengers. Um, I think it started about, about a year ago. Um, but the whole run has been really fun and it kind of follows through with a lot of the like most exciting characters right now. Um, the whole story is really cool. It actually starts with, uh, one million years ago on Earth and it starts with what is being presented as like the original Avengers. And so the team is Odin, uh, the original Iron Fist, uh, a Black Panther from a million years ago, a Ghost Rider who rides a mammoth, a uh, Cavewoman Phoenix, the original Sorcerer Supreme, the, the very first one, and then uh, it's, it's like a big Caveman Hulk uh, Starbrand. Uh, Starbrand is a character a lot of people might not know about, but he's one of the like cosmic heroes, and he's basically like, there to defend Earth. Uh, so if you want to imagine, it's like Hulk, but he can fly and shoot lasers. Right, because that's um, what Hulk it, needs. Yeah, totally. And uh, so the whole story kind of sets up this like new understanding of Earth and its superheroes, and then it ties into a new Avengers team um, that's led by Black Panther, uh, and like just the uh, a while ago they added Blade onto the team, um, and it's got, you know, it's got Thor, it's got Cap, it's got Ghost Rider, it's got She-Hulk, but, like, the fact that it's, um, Black Panther leading the Avengers, uh, and he's kind of established, uh, not only has he established the new Avengers, but he's also instituted, like, he'll hire these weird heroes that you, unless you're really into Marvel Comics, you wouldn't have heard of them, but so, like, he hires Gorilla Man as his chief of security, um, and he hires Kazar as, like, his scout. And so those two characters are just these, like, really weird, um, like, goofy characters that are now being brought into the main Avengers team as, like, a support staff to, like, help them get, get information or, um, so the whole, the whole thing is, like, done really, really well. Um, and it's got, like, I'm really excited for it, and it it just sets up, like, this really cool, like, cosmic uh, story involving the Celestials, and um, I just feel like it'll bounce off a lot. Um, I think in the first or second issue, it even, like, ties into the Eternals, who, which is going to be the next big Marvel movie that nobody knows what they are, but they'll love it, just like Guardians, I think. No, and actually, this is a comic series I haven't read, so I'll definitely take it under advisement. I, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's Prehistoric Avengers or Avengers of 1 million BC. Does that sound correct for people to help them find it? So it's, it's actually just called Avengers. Um, it oh, just, is it? Okay. It, it sets up that there was a team led by Odin a million years ago, and they were the, the first of Earth's defenders. And then it switches to, like, the modern day, and, and basically the consequences of that million years ago Avengers are now coming into the, the modern Avengers. I mean, I'm not going to lie. If I had the option of buying Ghost Rider on a mammoth, I would buy that in a heartbeat. I would be super excited about Ghost Rider riding a flaming it's, on a mammoth. It's really fun. And um, when I first read it, I kind of thought uh, that the that the, the cave, I want to call them the caveman Avengers, but I thought that would be only for a couple issues, but it seems like they're going to keep going with it in like flashbacks. Um, so I'm really excited. Like we just learned 
about how that character became the Ghost Rider, Caveman Ghost Rider. Like, what more do you want? No, that sounds amazing and like a great recommendation. All right, Greg. Well, it's been great having you on the pod. I hope that the listeners out there found this a little bit uh, educational, inspirational, and entertaining. Greg, again, will be creating content with Jay Larson. Uh, my Twitter name is Marvelous Greg, and Jay is Chain Attack Jay. And your Modoc themed podcast. Oh name man, we are we are recalibration matrix. I cannot wait. And again, I can't wait to see what that actually does. I know apparently that's going to be a card within Modoc. So, hey, be sure to look for the recalibration matrix coming to you with Greg and Jay. I am super excited about that. Can't wait to find it. If you enjoyed this pod, uh, give me a like and a follow on Twitter at Sungsu, T-S-E-U-N-G-T-S-U. You can also find me on Facebook at CO Wargaming. And of course, I'm not going to chew your ear off here, but any love or support if you're in a place in a position to be able to help on Patreon patreon.com slash across the bifrost greg thank you so much it's been a pleasure having you on we will have to do it again and i cannot wait to hear you on your own podcast when that launches hey thanks man it's been great uh chatting with you until next time (laughs) until next time everyone happy gaming